Make your Christmas simply better with these award-winning festive favourites from Dunn Stores. Start your Christmas meal with our simply better oak and hickory smoked organic Irish salmon with Kilkenny apple crystal gin. Then finish the evening with our luxurious simply better handmade chocolate raspberry and caramel yule log. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas simply better. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used in the next grocery shop of 50 or more. Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And we are so glad you're here. We're glad to be here after a week-long vacation. I know some of you guys missed us. I had a couple comments like, where are you guys? Do you guys still exist? Did you give up? Did you die? Nope. D, none of the above. We We took our... Go ahead. We didn't die. No, we didn't. We took our kids to Indian Rocks Beach in Florida near Clearwater. It was a very necessary vacation, not just for our kids to celebrate their birthdays, because for those of you who don't know, we have Irish twins born 12 months apart. So uh, we usually just celebrate their birthdays at once. And this year we decided to take a trip before school starts. So anyway, but it was also to take a break from work for me, at least Austin as an entrepreneur doesn't really take breaks. He's just built different that way. But I... I'm built different. Have you ever seen that video where the dude smashes the egg in between his <laughs> bicep and he goes, I'm built different. And then that little like scrawny chick does it and she goes, rah. <laughs> That's us. <Yeah. laughs> that sounds a lot like us. But for me... Um, you know, I love this pi- this podcast. I love to write and share stories with our listeners. And someday I would love to turn this into my full-time job. However, right now it is my part-time job in addition to doing hair and being a mom of two kids with one on the way. So when I carve out extra time for the podcast and all we cover is this like dark material, it kind of starts to weigh on me a little bit. And I could feel that weight coming on and I knew it was time to take a quick break. So I really appreciate all of you for understanding that and the sweet comments and messages that you sent on Instagram and Patreon. So yeah. Hell yeah. So I'm just here for it. Yeah, he he just shows up. I have to do all the research and all the writing. It gets exhausting. Just show up and say, "Ooh." uh." He shows up and looks good. None of my stuff is scripted, though. I just say what I say. That's absolutely. Which is why a lot of times I say some off the wall stuff. That's absolutely right. We got a comment while we were in Florida that just slayed me, and it was um, from an older case where Austin said aphrodisiac instead of valedictorian, and the comment was like, "How does he not just drive you insane?" I was like, "Mm, I don't think I ever said he did not drive me insane. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. You're cute. So anyway, with that, we are back this week with a pretty fresh and ongoing case. The first day that we arrived in Florida, we went to a Publix. And while we were in the checkout line, this People magazine caught my eye. And on the front page was a picture-perfect family dressed to the nines. And the title read, Perfect Family, Shocking Murders. So I literally had Austin take a picture of the front of the magazine so I wouldn't forget to research the story. That's what it was for. When I got back, yes. Because I didn't have my phone on me. So I was like, ooh, take a picture of this, send it to me so I don't forget. 
Well, just when I thought that this would be a black and white story, I was poorly mistaken. True crime is hardly ever black and white, and you would think that being a host of a true crime podcast, I'd be the first to know that. But I found the rabbit hole to this story to be very deep. So for the first time on this show, I'm going to be issuing a two-part um, episode. So You better have a damn good cliffhanger. So the, I think I, I hope do. you have a damn good cliffhanger planned where everybody's on the edge of their seat like, oh, why'd you do that? You know, the weird thing is, is like, I don't think this is a very well-known case, although there is a ton of information out there about it. Um, so this is just going to be part one. Um, you know, those of you who listen to this podcast know I like to keep my episodes kind of short and sweet. So I am going to give you a pretty condensed version of the story, but... There's a podcast out there called The Murdoch Murders, Murdoch Murders, and um, it's covered It's covered by Mandy Matney. Um, fun fact, I actually went to high school with her, and she has done a phenomenal job covering this story. Um, she actually lives out near the, like, where this all occurred. She has a crime podcast? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah, it's dedicated solely to this story. So and the whole podcast, every episode is about that one story? Yes, this one story. How so, the heck long can that last? I mean, well, I'm sure there's going to be, I don't know. I mean, it's still ongoing, so I don't freaking know. But she's done a really great job of like knowing every single detail. She has um, private sources of her own. I mean, it's crazy. So if you, if you want more details, if I don't give you enough, I suggest going to search. Um, it's spelled Murdaw, like M-U-R-D-A-U-H. I'm sorry, D-A-U-G-H, but it's pronounced Murdoch. So Just Google it, and if you can't figure it out... Huh. You'll figure it out, because she's everywhere. But anyway, this is part one. Are you friends with that girl? Um, I mean, I, I, I just follow her on Instagram. I think so. She probably doesn't know me. <laughs> is she going to appreciate the shout-out? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> I hope she doesn't say, like... I don't know. If she's like, I don't know. even know that chick that referred referred you guys. I don't know. I mean, I, I did use a lot of sources, but I did find that a lot of my sources led to her info. Like People Magazine even quotes her news That's crazy. Station so this is like, she she's like got that niche locked directs. down. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So anyway, let's, go. let's do Get this. on to the show. Okay. So we're going to start part one on the night of February 23rd. I wonder if people can hear the cicadas in the background. They're so loud. They are really loud. Okay. Your cicada is not our fault. All right. So anyway, right. Um, part one, we're going to start it on the night of February 23rd, 2019 in Beaufort, South Carolina, just north of Hilton Head Island. So it was a Saturday and Paul Murdoch was stocking up on drinks for a party that he intended to go to with some of his friends. There was an oyster roast that night that he planned on driving his dad's 17-foot center console boat to. So he pulled up to Parker's 55 gas station with the boat in tow. He purchased some White Claws, Natural Light, and Michelob Ultra with his older brother's ID, since Paul was only 19 at the time. Then he went to his family's river house, where five of his friends met up around 6.30 p.m. to take the boat to this oyster roast over in Pocky Island. So the friends included Paul's girlfriend at the time, Connor Cook and his girlfriend, and then Connor's cousin Anthony and Anthony's girlfriend Mallory Beach. So it was a set of three couples going to this party on Paul's dad's boat. 
They left the river house around 7 p.m. that night, and Paul drove the boat through the narrow winding canals that led to the party. And it was kind of interesting to see the route because you cross over what appears to be a river, you go through these creeks, and I'm just thinking the 17-foot boat, that's kind of big. Um, And, you know, this is a really narrow passageway. But shortly after midnight, the group loaded back up in the boat after the party with intentions to go home. But Paul, who was already intoxicated, wanted to stop at a bar called Luther's Rare and Well Done to get a shot. And this is in downtown Buford. It took about 30 minutes to get to this bar. And on the way there, the boat almost collided with a bridge on the waterway. So it's really dark. He's intoxicated. It's not a great situation to begin with. At 12.46 a.m., the group arrives and ties up the boat to this day dock. And everyone gets off, but only Paul and Connor actually go up to the bar. Everyone else kind of stayed down by the dock. Paul and Connor have a couple shots, which Paul pays for with his mom's Discover card. And they didn't stay very long. They only stayed about 10 minutes. And at about 1.15 in the morning, the whole group is back on the dock heading towards the boat. At this point, the friends recalled in their depositions that Paul was very intoxicated. Everyone had been drinking that night, but Paul was especially drunk, so much so that he was turning into this alter ego named Timmy. Timmy was apparently the nickname given to Paul when he got so belligerently drunk, he would get very aggressive, sloppy, out of control. So apparently everyone in the group was trying to encourage Paul to let Anthony drive the boat because they were all nervous about Paul's condition. But Paul, according to a witness statement, said, quote, you think y'all know this river better than me? This is my boat and I'll be damned if anyone else drives my boat, end quote. Very demanding, very aggressive. So when they all got into the boat, Paul and his girlfriend started arguing. I guess they had kind of a tumultuous relationship, and it wasn't uncommon for them to fight and for their fights to get a little violent. So Paul was getting really violent towards her in front of everybody. He was saying horrible things to her. At one point, he pushed her, slapped her, spit in her face, literally in front of everyone on the boat as the boat is going. Like, they are driving along at at points during this uh, fight, I guess, he would leave the wheel. He would abandon the wheel while the boat is going to go up and yell at his girlfriend. And Connor would go grab the wheel of the boat to like gain control. And then Paul would come back and, you know, kick him off the steering wheel. What a moron. Why didn't somebody do something to him? You know, it was suggested at the party that they just get an Uber because they all were in no shape to drive the boat. But unfortunately, nobody actually followed through with that choice, which is really unfortunate. Anthony and Mallory, his girlfriend, were in the back of the boat, and they were super nervous about the speed and the erratic nature of Paul's driving. Reportedly, Paul would slow the boat way down and start going super slow and just go in circles. And everyone was getting frustrated because they were like, dude, we just want to go home. Like, just get us home. Stop acting like a dick. Just come on. Cooperate. But when Mallory saw how Paul was treating his girlfriend, she yelled at him to stop. So Paul came towards the back of the boat and pointed to Mallory like he was about to tell her off. But Anthony stood up to him and was like, 
you don't want to make that mistake. Mm-hmm. So they literally stare at each other for a minute before Paul concedes, turns around back towards the steering wheel and throws the boat into its highest gear, going about 30 miles per hour, which is really fast for being on the water, especially when you're on such a narrow, winding creek. I mean, you don't have room for error. Those arcs, yeah. Yeah, and apparently the lights on the boat weren't working, so they were literally navigating with a handheld flashlight. So according to Anthony, one second he was holding on tight to Mallory on the floor of the back of the boat, and then the next moment he was flung into the water when the boat collided with a bridge. Paul, Anthony, and Mallory were all ejected from the boat. Anthony dislocated his shoulder. Connor broke his jaw, among other injuries. Paul's girlfriend was also severely injured. Paul only suffered from some bruises and scratches. Of course. Of course, right? The one that gets scotch free. Yeah. But Mallory disappeared. No one was able to find her in the water, and it would be an entire week, Austin, before two men from the search team found her body five miles from the crash site. She had been killed from blunt force trauma and drowning resulting from the crash. So Connor called 911, and the call is very frustrating to listen to, but I'm going to play a portion of it for you now. Um, But remember... Connor has a broken jaw while he's trying to communicate with this dispatcher. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for you now. What bridge is it? Paul, what bridge is this? Paul, what bridge? 911, where's your emergency? Please fire any of this. Hello? We're in a boat crash on Arthur Street. Where where about on Arthur Street? In Arthur Street, the only bridge on Arthur Street. Arthur Street. Arthur's Creek. Arthur's Creek. Arthur's Creek. Is it thousand? Okay. What's going on? It's Bob Paris Island. Right. What What's going on? We we're in a boat crash. You know what what kind of a a boat crash. A, a boat? Did you say a boat crash? A boat crash. Okay, so you're at, uh, are you at the dock? Hello, are you are you at the dock? No, we just crashed in a boat. Okay, are you in the water or are you... We're, we're in the boat. Okay. We have someone missing. Okay, okay. Hang on one second, okay? I'm calling in reference to a disabled, I'm sorry, a boat crash. There's six people on board. They currently have one missing. All right, it's in Archer's Creek, which is right there off of Paris Island. There's a bridge on Paris Island. They're underneath it. They crashed into the bridge. Alpha 29, that's right. 29. So they obviously totally weren't trained or expecting a boat to crash in the water. Apparently. Well, okay, so from what I understand, this dispatcher was either new or just inexperienced. She ended up leaving her job. I don't know if she chose to leave or if she was fired, but it is definitely hard to understand, especially if you're not from the area, Um, but... 
the dispatcher actually ended up giving the responding officers the wrong location. So rather than going to Archer's Creek Bridge where they were, they went to another bridge, which resulted in an entire 40 minutes to pass by before they finally arrived on the scene. It would feel like an eternity if you were the one in the boat crash. You know, uh, I... This is like a side note, okay? And I'm in no way trying to like compare any of my trauma to what's going on here. But my most traumatic accident happened when I was on my way to my mom's visitation after she passed. And I was in a really, I was in a pretty bad car accident. And it took forever. I don't know exactly how long it took for EMS or EMTs to arrive, but. Um, we literally would call and they would say, we've got other emergencies. We don't have enough people to respond. And so we waited and waited. I ended up showing up to my mom's visitation an hour late, but it absolutely felt like a complete eternity. And there was nobody missing in this, in that situation. Nobody was severely hurt. Drunk. Or drunk. A bunch of drunk. Can you imagine six people in a boat? Five. One's missing. People are wasted, injuries everywhere, and when in the water at dark. Your adrenaline is just pumping and it's making time go by, you know, so much slower than it actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like time is going by so much slower. Every second feels like a full minute. Um, so when help finally arrived, and at this point, they still can't find Mallory. I mean, they're searching. There's chaos. We have a broken jaw, dislocated shoulder. Paul's girlfriend is very injured, too. I don't know the extent of her injuries, but I know she's in bad shape. There's blood all over the boat. I mean, this is a complete nightmare. Um, But when they finally arrived, one of the deputies, Stephen Domino, took Anthony, Mallory's boyfriend, and put him in the back of a squad car just to kind of help him calm down. Because at this point, there's like 50 cop cars there. I mean, people are actively searching the water for Mallory. But Anthony is so upset, he tried to just get him into the car to calm him down. And while he was in the back of the car, he asked Anthony asked the cop if he could call his mom. Because his mom worked for SLED, or the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. And on the call, which was recorded on the dash cam footage and is accessible on YouTube if you want to watch the whole thing, because it's like 15 minutes long. Um, but Anthony tells her, quote, y'all need to come to Beaufort quick. We hit a bridge in the boat. Connor's messed up bad. We can't find Mallory, mom. End quote. It's really hard to listen to. He tries to tell her where they are, and you can just hear the agony in Anthony's voice. His voice is shaking as he's talking through these tears. And at one point he says, quote, you probably need to call Miss Renee and Mr. Philip, which are Mallory's parents. Oh, I just, I can't even imagine like how desperate and helpless he felt in that moment. Right. So Anthony passes the phone off to the deputy who is trying to explain to Anthony's mom how to get to their location. And while he is talking to her, you can hear Anthony in the back seat saying, quote, get that motherfucker right there away from me, end quote, referring to Paul. Paul, who at this point is in his boxers because he stripped all his clothes off before the crash in his just drunken Timmy Timmy stupor. Yeah, Timmy, I guess. And the deputy tried to calm him down because he didn't want Anthony getting into any trouble. But then Paul, as he's walking by the cop car, flashed a smile at Anthony, which 
completely and understandably set him off. So I'm going to play a clip from that dash cam footage. You know, it like it almost makes me emotional when I hear it because you can hear like his breathing change and he's just like you can hear he's just out of control. So I'm gonna go ahead and play that for you now. You talking about that one with no shirt on? Hey, do not I don't want you to get in no trouble, you hear me? Listen to me. Don't get in no trouble. You hear what I said? Mom's on the way. Bro, you fucking smiling like it's fucking funny. My fucking girlfriend gone, bro. You think it's fucking funny? Sit down. Sit down. Rightfully so, that he's pissed. I mean, yeah. So I don't know if you couldn't hear very well, but he is telling the deputy at the beginning, I begged him to let me drive. I begged him and I begged him to let me drive. He repeatedly said that to this deputy. Um, and you can obviously tell he's not faking his anger and his, and his, oh no, it desperate, is, you can hear the desperation in his voice. Yeah. And the anger, I mean, just pure, like, Mm -hmm. just rage. Understandably so. Um, So the deputy is eventually able to get Anthony to calm down so that Anthony can tell the deputy exactly what happened and who was driving the boat when it crashed. Okay, that's very important. He repeatedly told the deputy that Paul was driving the boat. But Anthony must have sensed that none of his testimony would really matter because then he says this. Y'all know Alec Murdoch? Oh, yeah, I know his name. That's his son. That's so driving the boat. Good luck. And so he's referring to his dad. So who's his dad? So, yeah, his dad is Alec Murdoch. So... Who is Alec Murdoch, or rather, who are the Murdochs? Man, I know the name the Murdoch, so I'm like anxious to hear this. Well, for more than a century, the Murdoch family has monopolized the legal realm in Hampton County. It all started with Randolph Murdoch Sr., who started his own law firm in 1910, which eventually grew into a multi-million dollar practice spanning over three counties. He was the first of the Murdoch legacy to serve as solicitor, prosecuting criminal cases in four counties. Three more generations of Murdochs would come to serve as solicitors over a five-county region in South Carolina. So naturally, this reign of prosecutors comes with a lot of connections, both in politics and in law enforcement. So everyone in town knew of the Murdoch family, and people either loved them or they feared them. According to an article written by Casey Baker in People Magazine, one local attorney attorney said, quote, you don't cross the Murdochs, or if you do cross them, you don't let them find out that it was you who crossed them, because they'll come down on you hard, and they'll come down on you with all that they've got. They have a lot of influence and power, and they'll use it against their enemies, end quote. Oh, man. So when Anthony told Deputy Domino, good luck, he knew in his gut that Paul would not be treated justly. 
And he really wasn't. And that's why Paul was an asshole, because Paul's been getting away with stuff all his life or knew he could. Exactly. Paul was this little... Arrogant, pompous, arrogant I can do anything punk. I want. Yes, yeah. exactly. You can even... Uh, just hearing what you've told me, I can figure that out. Yeah. If you Google pictures of him, he even just looks has that way. Has a smug look to him, probably. Yeah. He's got this smug look. He's got this overgrown red hair. He looks like he's from an episode of Southern Charm, but he's probably like, I don't know, just somebody that you cannot freaking stand to be around. But maybe you want to keep the relationship going because of the connections and you don't want to cross him, you know? Hmm. He's just one of those. Gosh, I'm looking it up, and there's all these updates, and I want to know what happens now. Yeah, don't look. Don't ruin it for you. So I mentioned he wasn't trust or uh, wasn't treated justly, so I want to elaborate on that. According to an article for FitzNews.com written by Mindy Matney, who hosts that podcast I told you about earlier, on the scene of the accident... Paul was getting in the face of some of the officers there. He said things like, quote, you think you're a bigger man than I am? Quote. And I tried to search his height and then I forgot. I wanted to see what his height was because he just has that like small man syndrome, it sounds like. And there were multiple witnesses or witness reports that documented Paul's aggressive behavior. However, it was never mentioned in any of the police reports that the cops wrote that night. And remember how Deputy Domino put in his report that Anthony clearly stated Paul was driving the boat. Mm -hmm. Well, Jack Keener, an officer on the scene, offered a different evaluation saying that it was unclear who was driving the boat. But in his dash cam footage, he never asked any of the witnesses about who was driving the boat. But to say that it was, quote, unclear was clearly an attempt to save Paul's ass. And what would Jack Keener have to gain from lying or omitting such pertinent information, right? Well, maybe Jack felt like he owed the Murdoch's one after the Murdoch law firm represented Jack in at least three lawsuits, where in one case, the firm represented his family after his father died in a 2012 car crash. Jack and his mother each received more than $750,000 when the case was settled. What? So... This is reported in that Murdoch Murders podcast, Um, and so I'm speaking on this from like what I remember hearing. I didn't write it down, but this this law firm was known for getting huge settlements. So a lot of like companies were fearful about setting up their businesses in this town because nobody wanted to get sued. Like they were so sue happy, and apparently, like a Walmart tried to come and. Um, put a Walmart in the, in that County or in that area. And the law firm, Murdoch's law firm wrote to them and said that it would be bad for business. Don't do it. And this is like one of very few counties, if, if not the only one that does not have a Walmart because they threaten them against it. And like I said, that other podcast will have way better information and details on that than I do. That's just something I remember hearing when I was driving in my car listening to that podcast. So maybe I got the details a little bit wrong. I very much suggest listening to that one. But anyway. No more plugs for another podcast because I'm here for this one. Okay. I'm sorry, Austin. I just like giving credit where it's due. That's fine. We get it. So it's also worth noting that while at the scene of the crash, Paul was never given a sobriety test, despite the fact that that he's in his boxers and obviously drunk. Yeah. 
he's obviously intoxicated. And that was corroborated by every survivor of the crash. He wasn't even arrested that night, Austin. He wouldn't be charged with anything for at least another seven weeks. But by then, the sheriff's office removed themselves from the investigation due to, quote, its longstanding relationship with the Murdoch family. For real. These people have all the pull in the world then. For real. And even then, he wasn't treated like a criminal. When he was indicted on those charges, he was never handcuffed. He was never fitted for a jailhouse jumpsuit. He didn't spend one minute in a cell. And he never even got a typical mugshot. His mugshot was taken in the hallway of a courthouse or of the police station where he's wearing a plaid button-up shirt, with, which is what you pretty much see circulating the internet. It's one of the most mm-hmm. common photos of him when you search him. And he's got this like sheepish, sheepish look on his face in dire need of a haircut. It's just, he's got this like poofy helmet hair. I can't stand it when guys do that. But anyway, regardless, he was never required to wear an ankle monitor. He was never required to submit for drug or alcohol testing. He was not treated like your typical boating while intoxicated criminal. BUI, DUI suspect. Exactly. Also, on the night of the crash, when the survivors of the crash were at the hospital getting treated for their injuries, Paul's dad showed up and tried to keep investigators from interviewing the victims, which would be a blatant obstruction of justice. Paul's girlfriend told investigators that his dad was trying to tell her what to say so that everyone would have their story straight. So he was actively, he didn't give a shit that Mallory was missing. He even he was already watching his son's back. Yeah. He at one point even told him, don't worry about her. She's gone. You need to get your story straight. Like just oh so cold. So Paul's blood alcohol content wasn't taken until hours later at the hospital. And it was reportedly at 0.286%, which is three times the legal limit hours later. So again, Why wasn't he arrested that night? Well, on April 18th of 2019, Paul was eventually indicted on charges of boating under the influence causing death and two counts of boating under the influence causing great bodily injury. So is that like manslaughter? Um, I guess it could be compared to manslaughter probably. I would think boating... BUI would mm-hmm. be one. Mm-hmm. You'd get a BUI and you'd get a manslaughter charge. Right. I, I guess maybe it's comparable to a vehicular manslaughter charge. I don't know. I don't know, though. I don't know. He pleaded guilty, on, or I'm sorry, he pleaded not guilty on May 6th of 2019. And two years later, on June 4th of this very year, Austin, so just a couple months ago, the case was bound for trial after failure to so, mediate wait, in on, a wrongful sorry. death suit. I'm sorry, I mean, I'm probably like that. <laughs> I just want to know, has he been sitting in jail all this time? Absolutely not. <laughs> Was he sitting in jail from April to May whenever he pled not guilty? No, in fact, Austin, he wasn't even, um, he wasn't even restricted from driving boats. Like, he could have still gone out and probably did go out and drive boats in the meantime. I mean, he had literally no restrictions whatsoever. And then, so then what happened here recently? Because I cut you off. Yeah, so June 4th of this year, it was determined that his wrongful death suit against him would go to trial. But three days later, Austin, on June 7th, around 9.30 p.m., Alec Murdaugh found his son Paul and his wife Maggie both dead from multiple gunshot wounds on their 1,770-acre hunting lodge. 
When, when was this? June 7th. Tell me this is the cliffhanger. you got to stop right now. If it's not, you have to stop because now I want to know everything that happens and this is the best spot. This is pretty much the end. What I will say, though, <laughs> listen. This is like an episode of a show where it doesn't come out till the next week and you're like, what? So no arrests have been made, but based on information gathered so far, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division is now looking into the 2015 death of Stephen Smith from Hampton County. Stephen was a 19-year-old openly gay man who was found dead in the middle of Sandy, Sandy Run Road on July 8th of 2015. The initial story surrounding his death kept changing, according to his mother, Sandy Smith. First, it was a hit and run. Then it was a gunshot wound to his head. Then they said that he was beat up. But his mom knew something fishy was going on, and it was never investigated. The case was closed, and no one was ever arrested. Let me guess it has ties to Murdoch. Yes. It hasn't become abundantly clear how the Murdoch family is involved, but according to rumors surrounding the case, Paul Murdoch's older brother, Buster, was rumored to be intimately involved with Stephen. So in part two, we will dive into the reasons that someone may have taken justice into their own hands and discuss who could have wanted members of the Murdoch family killed and why. So just unclear, Paul Mm -hmm. and his mom Mm -hmm. shot dead. Shot dead. On their hunting land. Yes. Holy Toledo. Yep. I've never seen wanted to, next week to happen so much in my life. Yeah. So we're going to dive into the details of Stephen Smith's case and how the survivors of the boat crash have been treated since this murder, this double murder, next week when we return with Mama Mystery. Mama Mystery. Out. Bye.